0: Is it time for us to create some sacred spaces? Find out what I'm talking about on this episode of Pushback. <music> are concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and I want to piggyback a little bit off of my uh, podcast from last week uh, that I entitled Out of Touch. And I was talking very specifically about sort of the social distancing culture that has been created through cell phones and video games and even the pandemic and how that cannot become our new normal and how we are hardwired from heaven to actually require each other and not only require each other with a text or a quick message over our phone or a picture, but actual physical contact where we can touch each other, hug each other, uh, embrace each other, uh, look each other in the eye and have real conversation. And so I want to go uh, more into the weeds this week regarding very specifically Cell phones. And this is entitled Sacred, Sacred Spaces. This also could be entitled, oh, Dr. Johnny's attempt to justify why he doesn't always have his cell phone with him. I'm going to make the case why that might not be the best thing ever anyway. That's kind of a long title, but uh, I, I'm not always super accessible by my phone. I don't always have my phone with me and I always feel like I don't want to be fettered to it, um, and maybe I can give you a few good reasons why that might be a good idea. So I want to get into a lot of research, uh, hopefully not to, to bore you, but to give you uh, the understanding that I've done the work of research. I've looked into this, and this is kind of some of the conclusions that I've read and, and some of the best articles that I've pulled out regarding some of the dangers uh, socially for our children but obviously this can be extrapolated to all of us who use cell phones and sometimes use them excessively. I want to say off the top that this is going to be very much of a public service announcement talking about uh, socialization and, and helping maybe with parenting but I want to say that I don't think technology is either good or bad. Um, I believe that the human race, through uh, inspiration of even heaven, can advance uh, our society, advance technology, um, but it's how it's used. I think that's true with anything that's given to us in this world is how we use it and how we activate it. Is it is it making us better? Is it making us worse? Is it making us closer to heaven, further from heaven? Is it is it helping relationships? Is it hurting relationships? And I think that we can look at technology through that lens that it's neither good nor bad, but in its excess or if it's being used outside of what it was intended to be to be, or what was it intended uh, for, why it was created, that it can lead to problems, and that's why we, as parents, and we even personally, need to have boundaries around usage of technology, so that it helps us and not hurts us, and does not hurts us, and doesn't hurt us. <laughs> There is no doubt I'm just reading that smartphone use has become pervasive in our society. In 2018, Pew Research Center poll said 95% of teens reported having access to a smartphone. Some 45% of teens reported using the internet almost constantly, a number that has doubled compared to 2014. So in 4 years, Now 45% say teens reported use of the internet almost constantly, while another 44% say they go online multiple times per day. There are obvious advantages to our newly wired world. It is now easier than ever to find a recipe for blueberry muffins and to keep in touch with family and friends spread out across the globe. But the rise of social media has some downsides. Even teenagers, the prototypical early adopters of any new technology, have mixed feelings about the impact social media has had on their lives. In a Pew Research Center poll, one in four teens thought social media has been mostly... Negative with about half thinking the effects have been mixed. So, if I'm just doing the numbers in my head, that sounds about three out of four teens actually cannot say that social media has been a positive. The negative p- potential for social media is highlighted in two recent studies. In the first, researchers found That in a cohort of 6,595 U.S. adolescents, those who use social media more than three hours per day were at increased risk for developing mental health problems. The risk was principally seen for internalizing problems such as feeling lonely, sad, depressed, or anxious, rather than for externalizing problems like acting out or behavioral difficulties. The second study was an analysis of more than 12,000 teenagers in England. It's a big study. The researchers also found that teens who use social media multiple times per day were more likely to report psychosocial distress, less life satisfaction, less happiness, and more anxiety than those who used it only weekly or less often. What was interesting about the study from England was that researchers identified three factors that seemed to explain much of the increased unhappiness cyberbullying, decreased sleep, and less physical activity accounted for much of the psychosocial distress. And this article goes on to say, ultimately, technology is neither good nor bad. How we use it determines what impact it has on our lives. There are many advantages to this digital age, but allowing young people unfettered access to the sometimes toxic environment of social media seems to be harming them psychologically we can't police the internet and sadly many hateful people will use the internet to say many hateful things but the thing uh, but there is something we can do we can put our phones down go outside and share a memory the old-fashioned way see parents are responsible for the fetter or the boundary we are responsible for ourselves So that we aren't unfettered and we aren't operating outside of a boundary. With our children, we need to be be very clear that a cell phone is a privilege and not a right. And when we put a fetter or a boundary around them in the way that they ought to use it responsibly and judiciously, if they operate outside the boundary, then they simply don't get to use it. It's important that we become very proactive because this can be very harmful and the studies are proving it, that there are psychological problems that take place when we use these devices in an unfettered way. Let me just give you a few things that that, that studies have shown um, that can cause problems. Um, One is something called teen tendonitis. It's a weird, it's a real thing. Uh, can cause pain in the hands, back and neck due to poor posture. And according, according to a five-year cohort study, excessive cell phone usage is known to result in musculoskeletal disorders such as tendinitis. And first, carpal metacarpal arthritis in the forearm and thumb. Number two, stress. We just talked about that, more prone to stress, anxiety, and depression, and research has found that excessive uh, smartphones may result in an increased risk of mental health problems. Number three, sleep loss. Most teens keep their cell phones nearby while sleeping to respond to texts and calls and remain reachable around the clock. This may lead to sleep interruption and disruption. That makes a lot of sense. And obviously teenagers need actually more sleep than adults do, but this is true probably for parents as well. Number four, accidents. We can see how uh, calls and texts will lead to dangerous uh, driving and distracted driving. Anxiety, relying on texting as primary mode of communication can increase anxiety in teens. Texting is instantly gratifying but also produces anxiety. Listen to this. The instant reply by a friend can bring joy and elation. But in case of a delayed response or no response, the same pleasure can turn into disappointment if their text isn't responded too quickly. And also cell phone addiction can turn into an obsession to check messages and reply immediately. This creates increased anxiety by creating illusion that they had received a message even when there was no message, making them frequently check their phones. This is sinister, my friends. Cyberbullying, we talked about that. 15% of children have reported being cyberbullied online. That's a high number. Cyberbullying makes teenagers sad and unwilling to attend school. And they've also found that children who are cyberbullied have an increased risk, obviously, of psychosomatic problems such as headaches, falling asleep, anxiety, and depression. Something called false prestige. The latest developments in cell phones have made it easy for teenagers to access any information. Most of the things projected on social media and the internet may not be accurate, but teenagers who are naive at their age may take them seriously and get influenced. This might lead them to live in a fantasy world and develop false prestige. Some may also resort to crimes to fulfill their fantasies. And this, of course, isn't even touching on the idea of pornography and the fantasy life and the connection to pornographic material that is so readily accessible through phones. Obesity. Constant usage of cell phones may also cause obesity in teenagers. The study further uh, shows that teens who spend more than five hours a day in front of screens are 43% more likely to get less sleep or exercise, resulting in obesity. Vision problems. Increased use of cell phones is said to cause vision problems in teenagers. A study conducted on 30 medical students, hey, 83% of them were found to have cell phone vision syndrome. The symptoms include stress redness, burning sensation, blurred vision, and dry eyes. Excessive use of their cell phones surpasses their usefulness and creates new problems in teenagers. While you may not stop your teenager from using a cell phone, it's possible to limit the usage by establishing some ground rules. There's the fetter rule again. Establishing boundaries for our children. I want to just very quickly touch on video games. Also, I believe not inherently evil, but can have negative effects from excessive use and things like reduction in motivation. All right, something called alexithymia, A-L-E-X-I-T-H-Y-M-I-A. It's a broad term to describe problems with feeling emotions. It translates into, from the Greek, no words for emotion. While the condition is not well known, it is estimated that one in ten people have it and is manifested by emotional suppression. Video games can lead to that. Repetitive stress injuries. Poor mental health, relationship issues, issues, social disconnection, exposure to toxic gaming environments, poor academic or professional performance, and escapism, which sounds like another podcast for another day because escapism is rampant in our culture. I really want to touch on this article that I found because I thought it was so good. And I want to read, this is actually an interview with an MIT professor named Sherry Turkle, T-U-R-K-L-E. Uh, she wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. Now, now she's not a Christian author. Um, she is a secular sociologist from MIT. But I believe that her answers are so important because it has been researched, and she has connected from a research standpoint. And this is a, a, an interview that I actually want to read from you. Turkle has spent the last 20 years studying the impacts of technology on how we behave alone and in groups. Though initially excited by technology's potential to transform society for the better, she has become increasingly worried about how new technologies, cell phones in particular, are eroding the social fabric of our communities. Reclaiming Conversation is Turkle's book, and it's a call to take a closer look at the social effects of cell phones and to re-sanctify the role of conversation in our everyday lives in order to preserve our capacity for empathy introspection, creativity, and intimacy. She is interviewed by Jill uh, Sutti, S-U-T-T-I-E. And she asked the question, your new book warns that cell phones and other portable communication technology are killing the art of conversation. Why did you want to focus on conversation specifically? And Sherry Turkle from MIT reports, because conversation is the most human and humanizing thing that we do. It's where empathy is born, where intimacy is born, because of eye contact, because we can hear the tones of another person's voice, sense their body movements, sense their presence. It's where we learn about other people. But without meaning to, without having made a plan, we've actually moved away from conversation in a way that my research was showing is hurting us. Then she's, she, she's asked, how our cell phones and other technologies hurting us? And she says, 89% of Americans say that during their last social interaction, they took out a phone. And 82% said that it deteriorated the conversation they were in. I think that's fascinating. Basically, we're doing something that we know is hurting our interactions. I'll point to a study. If you put a cell phone into a social interaction, it does two things. First, it decreases the quality of what you're talking about because you talk about things where you wouldn't mind being interrupted, which makes sense. And secondly, it decreases the the empathic connection that people feel towards each other. I think that's fascinating. Just the presence of the cell phone, not ringing or beeping or buzzing or binging, but just have it being there actually changes the quality, the quantity, and the feeling of the conversation. She goes on to say, so even something as simple as going to lunch and putting a cell phone on the table decreases the emotional importance of what people are willing to talk about and it decreases the connection that the two people feel toward one another. If you multiply that by all the times you've had a cell phone on the table when you've had coffee with someone or at breakfast with your child or talking with your partner about how you're feeling, we're doing this to each other 10, 20, 30 times a day. So she's asked, so why are humans so vulnerable to the allure of the cell phone if it's actually hurting our interactions? And she says, cell phones make us promises that are like gifts from a benevolent genie that we will never have to be alone, that we will never be bored, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be, and that we can multitask, which is perhaps the most seductive of all. That ability to put your attention wherever you want it to be has become the thing that people want most in their social interactions. That feeling that you don't have to commit yourself 100% and you can avoid the terror that there will be an interaction when you'll be bored. It's fascinating, isn't it? She says, actually allowing yourself a moment of boredom is crucial to human interaction and it's crucial to your brain as well. When you're bored, your brain isn't bored at all. It's replenishing itself, and it needs that downtime. We're very susceptible to cell phones when we get a neurochemical high from the constant stimulation that our phones give us. She says, I've spent the last 20 years studying how compelling technology is, but you know what? We can still change. We can use our phones in ways that are better for our kids, our families, our work, and ourselves. And so she's asked if technology is so ubiquitous yet problematic, what recommendations do you make for keeping it at a manageable level without getting so hooked? And she says the path ahead is not a path where we do without technology, but of living in greater harmony with it. And listen to this. Among the first steps I see is to create sacred spaces. (laughs) I love the term the kitchen, the dining room, the car, that are device-free and set aside for conversation. When you have lunch with a friend or colleague or family member, don't put a phone on the table between you. Make meals a time when you are there to listen and be heard. When we move in and out of conversations with our friends in the room and all the people we can reach on our phones, we miss out on the kinds of conversations where empathy is born and intimacy thrives. So allow for those human moments, accept that life is not a steady feed and learn to savor the pace of conversation for empathy, for community, for creativity. I love her insight. I love, even though it's a secular insight, I think it's so poignant. It's so precious. It's so researched. It's so well-developed. And I believe it is so cultural. Because she's seeing that technology is here. It's available. But it needs to be culturally responsible. It's so important that it's actually not harming us and limiting us from social interaction. Limiting us from really truly loving each other the best way that we can Why? Because we are hardwired from heaven to need each other. It goes back to my podcast last week. I love the accept that life is not a steady feed. It's that constant interaction, and it's actually not good for our brains. It's not good for our souls. It's not good for our bodies. That's the point of this podcast. This is the public service announcement that I'm making for you, is that these things aren't good when used in excess or when it's actually being placed physically between us and another human being. It's fascinating. So the point of my podcast is to call for sacred spaces. Sacred spaces. We might need to sit down with our kids and find out what they are, sit down with our spouse and find out where where that is and what are those moments. Let me offer a few suggestions. Church, <laughs> the dinner table, the car, those seems like ob- seem like obvious ones. But what about whenever a conversation begins? I don't want even for a moment to cheapen the conversation with my wife cheapen the conversation with my children or my parents and simply by having my cell phone there or accessible or or reachable actually i believe accomplishes that it weakens it according to research according to what actual facts of science are saying let's not do that let's be super intentional let's let's look at our cell phone and let's have it be in a context of a boundary, that we can be fettered. I also want to propose very strongly using what's called accountability software. This is protecting our children from accessing things on the internet that they should never access. That goes for all of us. We use it as well as adults in our home accountability software. We use a product called Covenant Eyes. I can't recommend it enough. I believe it's $10 a month. Money well spent. It not only blocks and protects access to websites that should not be accessed by any of us, but it also sends a feed to the parents about what is being viewed by their children. I can't come up with one reason why Every family should not be implementing that for that for their children and for themselves. It doesn't hinder the speed of the search or what the things that you need from an everyday standpoint. You can still look up the recipe for blueberry muffins. It doesn't block any of those things it just it just blocks the 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 um the websites that should not be accessed so it's called Covenant Eyes. You can look it up online. Um, accountability software, there are other products that you may want to look at probably at all different pricing levels. But I highly recommend it. Do it today. Anytime a child has a phone, they should be fettered and accountable for what they are doing. The time, there's also um, apps on your phone that actually uh, tabulate the time that you're spending on the phone. There are actually apps that actually shut off your phone once you actually reach a certain time. That sounds perfect. That's called placing a boundary around your children, and it makes a world of sense. I don't believe these cell phones are inherently evil. I'm looking at one right now. It's recording me as I speak and doing this podcast. It can be used for good. It can be used to, to extrapolate ministries and messages all over the world. It is good for connecting with family to a certain degree. It has its advantages, and I would never have my child drive without access to a cell phone that they could reach us in a case of an emergency. I get it. It's what it's for. But we have to be purposeful as parents and as over ourselves to live within a boundary. So that's my public service message today. I ask you to listen to this podcast in conjunction with last week's podcast as well. Share it with your children. Tell them the importance of of why you're putting the boundary around them. You can have them listen to Dr. Johnny and, 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 and the case that I have just made regarding boundaries. And thank you for listening. These are simple cultural things that we can do to make our culture more like heaven. So let's do that. Let's go together now to set and shape the culture.